Hello, everyone, and welcome to First Film, the podcast where we discuss famous directors and their feature-length directorial debuts. My name is Baden. And I'm Kyle. And today we are going to be talking about, in honor of the grand Bobbenheimer event happening the week that we're recording this. Yes. Kyle and I are recording an episode for Greta Gerwig and her first film, Nights and Weekends, and Christopher Nolan and his first film, Following. We're recording them back-to-back in the studio today. It's going to be the greatest double feature of all time. Some might say it's the bomb. Some might. But first, Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about Greta and her career? So like all great filmmakers, Greta was born in California. No way. Play the sound effect. (laughs) She was born in Sacramento, and she was raised under a religion I've never heard of, okay? I want to hear if you've learned about this. This was not the first sentence <laughs> I was expecting. Uh, she was raised a Unitarian Universalist. Whoa. <laughs> okay. okay, right? Never heard of this, so I had to do some uh, deep religious dives. I read the texts. I read the three Bibles. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So it is a liberal religion. That's how it's described. Okay. Liberal, like, politically, or liberal, <laughs> yes. and, like, they allow anything? <laughs> Both, <maybe>? Okay. Okay. <laughs> But it is characterized by, and I quote, free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And I was like, how recent is this religion, Okay, right? yeah, that doesn't sound too old. 1961. So then I was like, ah, born of the psychedelic era. Okay. It sounds like the kind of thing that would come out of, like, a YA novel. You know how they're always, like, creating, like, ways that the world should be? Yeah, yeah. It's super weird because it has six different subjects to it. Like, part of it's Christian, part of it's Jewish, and then the four other parts are like moral beliefs. Whoa. It's very strange. Crazy. So, like I said, because of the religious roots in Judaism and Christianity, she attended an all-girls Catholic school. So pay attention to this next part a bit closely, okay? Okay. She grew up without TV, described herself as being an intense child. Later, she learned she had ADHD. And she showed an interest in dance. And she says she would have done it seven days a week if she could. So um, her dance teacher, she gave, like, everyone in the class, like, names. Like, different names? So Greta's was, like, Scarlet. That's so Which odd. Is just very is that, strange. Is that a normal thing? Like, are you trying to disassociate, like, from who you, like, are? Maybe it's, like, their artist name or something. Right. But her mom found out about this, and she was furious. Right. And she called the whole thing a cult. And so she, like, pulled her out of dance, and she had to stop doing it, I'm pretty sure, or the wow. lessons. Wow. Yeah. So she intended to complete a degree in musical theater in New York originally, but she ended up graduating with a degree in English and philosophy. That's interesting. Because small spoiler for next episode, but Nolan also got his degree in English. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So kind of interesting parallels there. That's right. But the double feature gets even <laughs> more intense. So when she attended university, she performed many plays, stage productions, but she had a famous roommate with Kate McKinnon. No way. Uh, Kate McKinnon, most notably on SNL and many other films, including Barbie in 2023. Oh, it's all come back around. So her first role would be in 2006 while still in college in a mumblecore film called Lol by Joe Swanberg. So I'm going to give you the definition for mumblecore because this comes up a lot. Okay. So mumblecore is a 
genre of narrative film focusing primarily on the intimate lives of young characters and featuring scenes of ample dialogue and minimal action. It's almost a spin on like coming of age films kind of. They're a bit more like existential because yeah. like a lot of the dialogue gets very like questioning things. And so continuing her bubblecore rise, she and Joe Swanberg started a partnership and then they both co-wrote the film Hannah Takes the Stairs yes. and then co-wrote and directed Nights and Weekends. The one that we're talking about today. And we'll get a lot more into that. I'm sure you have some things to talk about For too. sure, yeah. But you can kind of see here that she's primarily focusing on the mumblecore genre. Yeah, she was kind of a rising star in mumblecore. Despite this, she didn't really have any mainstream success because mumblecore is very much an underground genre. Yeah, yeah. It's not something that the average moviegoer is ever gonna like see. And I actually found a quote from Greta talking about this time in her life when she was primarily doing the mumblecore films and mm. acting in them. So this is what she says. I was really depressed. Yeah. I cried a lot. It was a hard year. I was 25 and thinking this is supposed to be the best time and I'm miserable. So she felt very stuck. She felt like if I try to do something else, maybe I won't have like a breakthrough or maybe I'll just kind of be stuck doing this. So it's very conflicting ideas. Yeah. But then in 2010, she got a bigger role than anything she ever worked on, starring in the film Greenberg alongside Jennifer Jason Leigh, Ben Stiller, and directed by Noah Baumbach. Noah Baumbach. I feel like I should know who that is. Greta is married to Noah Baumbach. Oh, okay. And you probably know Noah Baumbach from his work on the Madagascar films and Marriage Story. Wait, he did Madagascar and Marriage Story? Yeah. That's like that's like George Miller. We discussed George Miller on a previous episode and he did Mad Max, like all the Mad Max movies and also Happy Feet. <laughs> And this guy did the Madagascar movies and Marriage Story. Yeah, I don't think he did all of them, but <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> that's like, that's crazy. So interestingly, during this period, he was still married to Jennifer Jason Leigh, okay. who was acting in this film in Greenberg. And their relationship would end shortly. And then after the relationship ended, he started dating Greta Gerwig. But if you want the story of how Noah Baumbach and Jennifer Jason Leigh's marriage ended, that is what Marriage Story is about. Oh, shit. It is loosely based on that. their marriage falling apart exactly so you just have to wait for our Noah there's, Baumbach episode for that there's some lore there yeah. like there's some lore to dig into I couldn't not mention that because it's just a crazy fact it is crazy and it's crazy that like the two of them are associated I can't believe they're married yeah I know now if you look at Greenberg's plot synopsis this film has some crazy moments in it like the plot stuff that happens is wild like I can't even begin to describe it do you have like one example so this is some of the plots this is just a sentence from like two scenes that happen back to back to each other. He goes up to this other girl's apartment. They begin to have sex. Florence, one of the characters, stops him, having just come out of a relationship and doesn't want casual sex. And then after that, they decline a major record deal from their band 15 <laughs> years ago. Mailer is lethargic. His like cat. Yeah. So they take him to a vet where they learn he has autoimmune disease. And then their relationship starts falling apart. What is this movie? <laughs> That sounds awesome. So guess, just from that plot synopsis, guess how much this movie's budget was? I'm thinking like under 100k. 25 million. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my god, that's so far out of the range that I thought it would be. 25 million. Are you shitting me? And it 
bombed. Yeah, no shit. It made only seven point five million, less than half of like its budget. How did Noah Baumbach finesse twenty five million? I don't know. However, the bad box office actually didn't affect Greta's career. Many critics praised her acting for Greenberg. They thought she did a really good job. Okay. Next, Gurig would partake in another co-directing partnership. This time with Noah Baumbach. They made Francis Ha. This film people think is actually Greta's first. However, Nights and Weekends is. Nah, 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 nah. Anyone who says that, completely wrong. So you were talking about the dancing thing, and Frances Ha is about being a struggling dancer in New York. So you can see the inspirations from her life there. Oh, okay, yeah. And fun fact about this, the main character who's played by Greta, her parents in the film are played by Greta Gerwig's real parents. That's cool. Did they have any, like, film background at all? No, and her dad actually on set kept saying to Gerwig, why are you hiring us? Just hire real actors. (laughs) That's so funny. Like, he was apparently, like, iffed about it. The last thing you'd ever want is, like, your dad on set, I think. Greta actually got a nomination for a Golden Globe for Best Actress for Frances Ha. Wow, that's awesome. Getting some major critical acclaim. Yeah. And so after this, she did a failed pilot called How I Met Your Dad, which was a spinoff to How I Met Your Mother. Oh my god, that's a show now as well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Like, it's it's revived and it's on Disney Plus or something. And I'm pretty sure Greta was going to be the main character in this show. Whoa. But in 2017, she made her solo directing debut with Ladybird. Writing it herself, it is a semi-autobiographical film about a Catholic high school senior and her rocky relationship with her mother. Now, this is an interesting kind of point to make. Greta has said that nothing in the film really happened to her, so it's not really autobiographical. Like, the events are, I guess. She says the events aren't, but she said it treads on familiar territory to what she knows and has experienced. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably fair to say. And I gotta say, I love this film. I think it's great. I think it's really well directed. Like, the cinematography, the acting, everything is really, really well done. And it makes sense. So it had a $10 million uh, budget, grossed $78 million worldwide. Very nice. And had just widespread critical acclaim. And it's just won and been nominated for so many awards that I just can't even count them here, or else we've been here for, like, hours. Yeah. So to go back to the nominations, one key nomination is she was the fifth woman in Oscar history to be nominated for best director and interestingly because you know how they do like the post-nomination speeches and stuff yeah yeah she came out and she was like listing all the female directors and she mentioned one of our previous directors Sofia Coppola Sofia Coppola yeah saying how much of an inspiration her nomination was for herself and now taking that shared space but again Shocking how it's only been five. Only five over like 90-something Oscars? Yeah. It's like, man, it sucks. And we'll get into even more Oscar drama later. No way. Yeah. I'm excited. I didn't know this, but she starred in Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Yeah, no, I, I knew that she'd um she'd done Isle of Dogs because I remember that cast list just being so, like, interesting. Yes. Uh, and speaking of stat casts, after this, she made Little Woman, based off of the book by the same name, and again, stacked cast. Meryl Streep, Cersei Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Bob Odenkirk, need I continue? No, I think you should stop. (laughs) I think we should quit now. Uh, But this was 
a bigger success than Lady Bird. So it had a budget of $40 million, made $219 million in the box office. Insane. Got so many awards and nominations. And to jump to those nominations and awards, it got Oscar controversy. Uh, Little Women did? Sort of. Oh, was it snubbed? It got Oscar controversy after no woman, including Greta, were nominated for Best Director that year. That's such bullshit. And this was a stacked year. So this is the year where Parasite won in 2019. Okay, yeah. So... It had a bunch of really good films. Oh, I was... Yes, that was a good damn year. 1917, I believe. Yeah. Um, Ford v. Ferrari. Yes. Like, it was a stacked, stacked Oscar year. 2019 was crazy. But many prominent figures in and out of acting noted this snub. One being Hillary Clinton. Oh, okay. Another being Natalie Portman, who wore... She wore the dress with the names. And one of the names on that dress was Greta Gerwig. Right, because it was like a list of all the, like, female directors who or actors snubbed. who got snubbed. Yeah. yeah. So, interestingly, this is a funny story. So, you know how they have the nominations, like, press galas and stuff yeah she attended these because her partner noah bomback was nominated story for marriage story that's fucked up dude so while he was doing the press greta was just like sitting in like some like empty like ballroom and who comes walking by but the hollywood foreign press and as they passed her instead of just like not saying anything they all looked to her and they said we all voted for you and greta literally just turns to them and says well you did it because if you did i would have been nominated what the fuck isn't that crazy that's just like that's a movie moment right there yeah yeah you can picture that so cinematically like the party happening yeah and like sitting to the sideline like in the scope of like the oscars where you made like a movie that was critically and box office like really well received yeah and you're sitting there as your husband like what the that's so dramatic i know and like awful yeah um, so in 2022, Gerwig returned to acting, being a part of Bombac's White Noise with Adam Driver, who starred in Marriage Story. That's right. Um, about a family going through difficult times and, quote, including an environmental disaster near their home and a fear of death that leads the wife to prostitute herself for an experimental medication. Sorry, she directed this or was she in it? She was in it, but Bombac directed this. That is a very odd sentence. I have never heard of this film. I guess 2022, like, I don't know how it was released. Maybe yeah. it was, like, on Netflix the same day it was in theaters. Yeah. Because I was gonna say, I don't think this got a theater release because I just want you to take a look at these numbers here. Okay, let's see. Budget of 100 million, box office of 79,000. So this thing must have not got a cinema release. Well, also, if no one's heard of it, because it's not like I've seen, you know how people post clips of movies and such? Yeah. I've never seen anyone talk about this, so I doubt anyone really viewed white noise that's true so yeah that was 2022 and we're all caught up to 2023 because honestly greta has not done that much directing stuff in terms of directing i think she has the smallest filmography um of anyone we've looked at so far yeah which was the movie she's done but like oh my god the jumps though really crazy yeah and like i gotta give it props to her because from going to these you know pretty much indie films i'd say mm-hmm. she now is directing the all pink all fun star-studded barbie in 2023 written both by her and noah bomback i didn't know noah bomback was writing this oh i had no idea he had a credit on that yeah yeah so the story of barbie actually is really interesting about how it came into the hands of greta yeah because it starts with margot robbie oh margot robbie herself bought the rights to the film whoa alongside warner bros and margot robbie personally invited greta to direct it oh my god so she was the 
the first and only director of this movie. Wow, that is so not where I thought that was going to go. I figured because it's like Barbie, it's like a product from like a toy company. Yeah. It would be like a kind of scummy origin. No. That's rad as hell. And it's interesting because Greta had a very rocky relationship with the brand when she was growing up because uh, Barbie was forbidden in her house. Oh my God. And she wouldn't have watched any of the movies or anything because no TV, right? Yeah. And her mom kind of justified the banning because she kind of had the perspective of if Barbie was a real woman, she wouldn't be able to stand up. She wouldn't be able to support her head because of like her body structure is like, it's anatomically not possible. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet it's still treated as though it could be, which yeah. is like very messed up. But this leads to an interesting perspective when it comes to writing the story because she had no idea what to do as unlike a comic book movie or mm. Little Woman, there's no source material to go off of. It's literally just a brand. It's, it's a totally plastic fresh, toy. Yeah. But once something came together, she actually didn't think it would get accepted by Mattel or Hasbro. Because it was like just probably not what they were originally looking for. Yeah. Truman they Show let, type of thing. That's what I've heard too. It's yeah. like Truman Show. It's almost very existential. Meta. But surprisingly, they accepted the script and were like, this is great. You know, that's actually like a thing that I've found is, as, you know, as much as we want people who are like really, really dedicated fans to like run the media that they're fans of. Yeah. Like sometimes that works out really, really well, obviously. I think James Gunn is a good example of that. Yes. But at the same time, sometimes it's better when like, for example, the writers of Andor, like the creators of Andor, yeah. didn't really like Star Wars and made the best Star Wars content we've had maybe ever. Because... If you don't do anything experimental, it just becomes predictive. Yeah. Uh, so recently, her talent agent came out and started talking to some media press and says that Greta herself wants to move to more high big studio productions and move past the small scale dramas that she kind of grew up directing oh, with. Oh, shit. Which is very interesting. Greta Gerwig's Fast and Furious 12. Well, interestingly, her recent rumors of her new directing projects mimic this because apparently she did screenwriting work for the live action adaptation of Snow White and the other one is there has been talk of her and I think the deal has been locked in as of today of directing a Chronicles of Narnia trilogy no way yeah she is I think set to direct it for Netflix like a reboot yeah whoa so what else lies for Greta Baden who knows but don't be surprised if she's directing the next big blockbuster well that was so much more than I thought it would be I took you on twist and turns I really roads. did not expect like like 90% of the stuff there, like at all. Just shocking facts, eh? What a career. And it's just starting. So despite all the praise and accolades we've just uh, recounted, it's time for us to go back to 2008, only 15 years ago. No way. To Greta Gerwig's first directorial debut, Nights and Weekends. Are you ready to talk about this, Kyle? Let's go. Let's jump into it. Now, Kyle, tell us a little bit about this film. What's the plot? I can't. I can't tell you the plot, Baden, because there is none. <laughs> Nothing happens. <laughs> Nothing happens in this film. It's literally just like an hour and 20 minutes of meandering. I, I can't even describe it. It's just two people. They're talking and then that's it. But here's the thing. They're not talking about anything. They're just talking about like, what did you have for lunch? Or, oh yeah, your brother's coming over. Oh wait, he can't come <laughs> over because he just had a baby. What? Just, 
What is this made? Yeah, yeah, so what did you think? In a shocking turn of events, I actually quite liked it. No way. Like, no way. In an absolute shocker for the ages, I surprised myself by actually not minding this film. Yeah, so this was, as we mentioned before, written, directed, and produced by Greta Gerwig and her collaborator Joe Swanberg, who are also the stars. Uh, it's pretty much just the two of them. It's mumblecore, so it's a lot of just like talking and sitting and fidgeting. With no plot. They are in a long distance relationship. One lives in Chicago, one lives in, I believe, New York. And so at the beginning, they have for the first time in months, like, met up in Joe's hometown, Chicago, and they go into the house and they start having sex immediately on the floor. Yeah. And then we cut to more menial stuff, like one of them will be using the toilet while the other's in the shower. Yeah. And again, normally I don't like this. However, and I think this is something that can happen with Mumblecore, is you're not really sure if they're, like, improvising or not and I would normally hate that I actually think that this film was scripted at the beginning of this film when we first introduced the relationship I actually really felt them as characters in terms of scripting I do feel like this was pretty much entirely improvised interesting and honestly some of the scenes reflect that for me like the big thing and this is probably the biggest aspect I notice is the conflicts right where either Joe or Greta Gerwig's characters they'll just get mad at each other for no reason. So the thing is, like, I felt like the dialogue was actually quite precise. Like, I was able to follow everything, and I was actually following their emotions in the way I think I was supposed to. Like, I understood, like, when the conflict was about to happen, even if there was zero sign of it. I get that, but, like, for me, it was like, okay, we're doing laundry, and then Joe will grab the blue hanger instead of the white one, and then Greta's emotion, or Joe's emotion, yeah. will jump from zero to 900 and be like, I don't like when you do that, you can stop doing it, and then they get into an argument, and then the scene cuts. That's actually a pretty close, like, approximation of, like, some of the scenes in this. Like, I think it was incredibly real, because because at least in my experience, some of this stuff does just like turn on a dime, especially when you're doing like long distance. I get that. But the issue is it's just not entertaining. It feels like to me like a home movie or vacation footage, but then someone's accidentally left in the parts of your parents arguing and them leading up to getting divorced. That's what it felt like That's to me. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> like, That's quite the metaphor. It's supposed to make you feel a part of conversations that you're not supposed to hear. I get it. That's supposed to be very slice of life. But it's just felt so artificial to me. That's so interesting because it felt the opposite to me. I didn't feel this was artificial at all. Like, uh, this is one of my favorite lines in the thing. So they are out and she starts like crying because I think it's like one of the last days before she has to go back or whatever. Right. And you expect that he's going to be a certain way. And then all of a sudden he's like... Like, he seems kind of pissed off and he's like, I'm sick of you fucking crying every time it's not perfect. And she's like, I don't cry every time it's not perfect. Every time it's not perfect, I fix it. And she goes on this rant about how like, she's always the one who's like buying a ticket to go see them and stuff like that. I remember that moment yeah. specifically yeah. because I actually thought Greta acted that moment out pretty well. Greta was phenomenal. But I thought Joe Swanberg did a fucking shitty job there. He is outclassed by Greta in this film. Because in that exact moment where you're like, I'm so sick and tired of you crying, he was just deadpan. He was monitored 
tone, I felt absolutely nothing. It felt like someone was holding up a billboard with the lines. Mm -hmm. Like At the same time, I took that as an intentional choice because I saw it through like a lot of the other scenes. And that's part of what informed my understanding of Greta's character's frustration was I feel like that was actually his character. He's a character who like doesn't emote that much. And like there are other times where the dialogue, I think, indicates that it is a, an intentional choice. Like, for example, so there's a moment where Greta's character is talking to Joe's character and she talks about how she's, like, really afraid that, like, his friends don't like her. Yeah. Like, I think it's before they're going to see her brother, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's, like, nodding along and he's like, it's okay, like, you're great or whatever. Then, later, one of the things he says is one of his favorite parts about Greta's character is that he feels like he could leave her alone in a room with all of his friends and, like, go out. Yeah. And that she would be okay and she's like, that's so nice, right? And her delivery there, I really felt that moment where your partner gives you a compliment and you know in your heart like it is a compliment like that they mean it in a good way because it's not just like you look nice it's something very specific exactly yeah, but yeah. at the same time it sort of like triggers like something in you and the fact that earlier she talked about that anxiety of meeting his friends and then he's like I feel like I could leave you alone in a room with my friends I felt in her performance and her eyes there that her character was taking a beat to like take that in and there were moments moments in the film like that like I was so invested in these characters like when the movie ended I was genuinely like sad that I wasn't going to see these characters again don't get me wrong I was invested in a certain point but then I was like we're really not getting anywhere and then I started to be more critical and then I was like here's the issue with this here's the issue with that one of the things I was not a fan of is the shaky cam extreme close-ups for like 90% of the film mm -hmm. and I get it to show the characters are exhibiting emotions that they're kind of in their own heads but I just feel like it's an excuse to not set dress to yeah. shoot it badly yeah. for inconsistent lighting so one of the funny things with mumblecore is um mumblecore as like a genre term yeah is kind of a, a compliment and an insult like one of the things that comes to mind with it and that happens in a lot of the films is the dialogue is really muffled and not clear I, I think it's funny for two reasons number one i actually thought that the dialogue in this was clearer than it is in films like tenet i understood all of the dialogue in this way better than some of the recent movies i've seen okay but you also have to account for that in tenet they are dealing with music and planes and like and loud planes noises and stuff. stuff and they mix it purposely bad yeah and this leads into the thing there is no music in this film that's true that is a, a hard thing to deal with and with i think this. that's part of the reason where i was like really not feeling <laughs> the energy of yeah. the characters you start to hear your own like jaw like cracking and stuff because there's no sound design yeah you'll just hear the white noise that oh my god the first scene where they start like having sex on the floor yeah the like of the kissing uh, was really hard to listen uh, to. It was really tough. But I'm a big believer in audio making or breaking a film mm. because I think music adds to the emotions. And this broke you. Yeah, it <laughs> broke me in half. It snapped me like a trig, like a plank of wood. I, and I do have to wonder, if this film did have some music, would I emote and feel with the characters more? Maybe, maybe. It's hard to say because I feel like, in a way, the amateurness of it like is part of what makes 
made me feel so much of the character stuff. So here's an interesting thing. I'm going to mix in the behind the scenes stuff. So one of the things that happens in the film is there's a year long break. Yeah. There's a time jump. So they, their relationship doesn't work out and we jump to a year. They've been broken up presumably for that time. See, I was very confused by that part because I generally wasn't sure if they broke up or not. Right. Because like immediately they like call each other and have a date. Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Behind the scenes, I thought this was really interesting. In real life, they took a year. So the second half of the film was shot a year after the first half because in real life, they shot what they thought was everything. And then she and Joe, who apparently have a very like argumentative relationship, they had a fight and didn't talk for three months. And then they like made amends. Then they like, they looked at everything and they were like, oh, I think we actually need to tell more of this. And then they shot the second half like a year later. And so after the year passes in the story, their love kind of... Now, I'm not going to say rekindles because I think one of the things very clearly in this film is that they are not in love again by the end. This is my issue is because, again, that's part of the reason why I was confused because it's not like we really see how they acted differently when they were with each other post-breakup. Mm-hmm. It literally just felt the exact same as the year prior. That's interesting because I felt like there was such a difference in terms of their chemistry after the year. And like one of the things that happens is the end of the film kind of is them trying to settle into this sort of like weird place that they're in, like halfway between being in a relationship and not. And that that I think is where the film pretty much ends. Okay, I don't think it was portrayed that well that like, let's retry stuff. Right. Let's kind of see what's happening. And I do, I did sense some of the incompatibility. Yeah, But see, yeah. I felt some of that incompatibility from the beginning. But I think that's intentional because there's like a very clear shift at the beginning where at first I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, this relationship seems really sweet. Yeah. And then like they start being assholes to each other. I, I get what you're saying with yeah. that. And I do think, again, it was intentional, the incompatibility. Yeah. But my issue is yeah. in the second half, because the characters are supposed to know they're not really incompatible again, yeah. right? Yeah. But I feel like they're just acting the same way. Like they don't understand themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, that felt more emblematic of like people who are confused and like aren't able to make like necessarily the right decisions in that moment because of all the like confusing feelings. Yeah. But to be honest, I wasn't bored. I'm going to say something a little bit controversial Go for here. It. I think a lot of the meeting you're interpreting. And I I'm not, giving it instead of it being You're giving there. it. And I think some of the stuff, it's just almost accidental. It, it is possible. This film has pretty bad reviews overall. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. I'll admit, I had to look up some of the reviews to make sure I wasn't <laughs> to crazy To check yourself. Yeah. yeah. One of the reviews I read on Letterboxd was like, well, I guess there's a reason we call Lady Bird her official directorial debut. <laughs> oh and my I was like, God. Yep. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, props to you for enjoying it, because I did not get the same level of enjoyment at all. Yeah, it's weird. Like, would I watch it again? Fuck no. But I, I didn't have a terrible time with it. I mean, that's good, man. I'm happy to hear. Uh, to throw in a few more behind-the-scenes things, the producer was actually nominated for something, and I only mentioned that because I think a film like this, which... Again, I don't think that many people really enjoy. Yeah. The fact that it got, like, a small cinema release and stuff like that is, is pretty impressive. Like, it got around and is not, like, a completely unknown film. And I think props to the producer for getting it around. But you also have to keep in mind, at this time, because this released 2008, yeah. this is when the writer's strike was happening. So I think part of the reason it got more of a cinema release was because there wasn't a lot of stuff. And that also leads into my thing of the reason why I don't think a lot of it was scripted was because 
because of the writer's strike. You know, that is a good point. I hadn't made that connection at all. I wonder if like, because they filmed the parts a year apart, I wonder if like one half had a writer's strike and one half didn't. Maybe that's why you enjoyed the first half more. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, so these numbers are low enough that I feel like they're probably not accurate, but I'll yeah. say them anyways, because I think this is the lowest budget debut film we've looked at so far. Can I guess? Yes, go for a guess. I'm going to guess it had under $1,000. It was a budget of about $15,000. Really? Which I imagine was mostly for cast equipment and maybe locations. Like there's not much set dressing. There's no CGI. Obviously, that would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be awful. But um, yeah, so off a budget of 15000 which its box office was $5,430. It was a limited release. Yeah, it yeah. was really small. Like who knows what it actually made. Exactly. I imagine they probably pocketed enough to make it so that this wasn't like a huge loss, but it's hard to say. Greta has said that it was originally supposed to be about a happy couple, but after they started shooting it, just like clearly wasn't going that way, which I think is interesting. See, is that because of Greta and Joe's relationship in real life? It might be, because Greta and Joe apparently fought all the time, mostly in like a kind of like friendly way. Apparently their relationship was all about work, but it was so common for them to fight that when they were at a film festival in Saratoga, when they started fighting, everyone texted each other to be like, Joe and Greta are fighting again oh my god like it was that common and so like i said they took three months like not talking to each other because it was so tumultuous jesus Christ. before reconvening to shoot the second half of the film but yeah so just a random fun fact as well apparently uh she shared a studio with the safety brothers uh, really? on, a, on a trip the safety brothers who were kind of indie filmmakers and also did, like uncut gems yeah yeah um they're they're big on the scene now but i don't know if that's related to this specific point in time but i thought it was interesting that's cool anyways that's all i have to say about the film it's weird that we had such polar opposite things. The I, first time in nine episodes, yeah. First time that we really, like, disagreed. And you you might be right. Like, I might be giving this film way more than, like, it's worth. Yeah, all that matters is you enjoyed it, man, you know? Yeah, I'm happy I didn't waste my, my hour. Unlike me, dreadfully sitting there, <laughs> counting every second of silence. Checking the clock over and over again. Yeah, because you watched it before me and you texted me and were like, I think this is the kind of one you're going to be on your phone a lot for. Yeah. And I, I did in the middle a little bit. But for the first and the end, I didn't check my phone at all. I didn't check my phone at all either. I really wanted to. That is some dedication. But I didn't. For, for the sake of this podcast. The, the things we do for you, the listeners. So thank you, everybody, for watching this episode of the First Film Podcast. That's right. We've been uh, having really great growth, really great feedback recently. So thank you all for that. Make sure to like. Make sure to subscribe on all podcasting platforms. And follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, at First Film Podcast. P-O-D-D-Y. And if you can, if you know someone who's interested, please share this with a friend. We've been getting growth from that, and that's been a really great way of doing it. And also leave a five-star review. You can do it in-app on the podcast. It really helps us out. Yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Well, we will be back next episode with Christopher Nolan's first film, Following, from 1998. I'm really excited to talk about it. I agree. I agree. We'll see you in the next one. See you guys.